Hello everybody, my name is Mason Rayburn and this is the Rayburn Report. So we had a bunch of episodes other planned and I was trying to get some done actually during spring break, but now we have to talk about Syria. About four years ago when there was the big uh, chemical attack in Syria, I made a, a pretty long uh, informational little segment about it. And I decided that's probably the best place to start with this one. Because Syria is not Iraq, it is not Iran, it's not any of the other Middle East country. It is kind of special. Syria is, quote, run, quote, by the al-Assad family. Islam is mainly divided into two sects, Sunni and Shia. The Assad family are members of the Alawadi denomination of Shia Islam, though some Shia followers deny that the Alawadi is Shia Islam. Most of Syria is Sunni Islam, with a significant Christian minority. However, Islam is not the official religion of the country. Syria is a secular country, and most minorities are in favor of the Al-Assad-controlled government. They are also worried that if Sunni extremists take over, they will be persecuted. The only other Shia-controlled government is Iran. And our close U.S. ally Saudi Arabia dislikes both these regimes and Shia Islam in general, and another close U.S. ally, Israel. Israel has also bombed Syria numerous times. With the Russian aspect, Syria and Russia are very close. Russia has a standing arms agreement with Syria that Syria has mainly bought through credit. If the regime gets overthrown, Russia can kiss all that credit and that money goodbye. Russia is also looking to maintain a strategic gas pipeline in the region. And there's also an estimated 50,000 Russian-Syrian families in Syria. Syria provides Russia with a warm water port on the Mediterranean. Most countries on the sea actually belong to the U.S., the EU, or NATO's sphere of influence and don't allow Russian warships access. China doesn't really have any attachment to Syria, but they do generally ally with Russia and try to counterbalance NATO. China is also interested in having a much more international presence, and that means a standing opposed to U.S. interests. A destabilized, U.S.-unfriendly Middle East means that the U.S. isn't paying as much attention to Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and the little islands around China. China also gets especially irritated when anyone tries it decides it can violate a nation's sovereignty and help rebels fight the government. China doesn't want that precedent set because if one day the West decides to help Tibet or Taiwan, technically two autonomous, very questionable regions in China. Most of the rebels are mainly defected Syrian military people. Jihadists and Islamists are also there. And since they all want Assad gone, they kind of loosen-knit fight together. However, the Free Syrian Army has commented the next battle will be between the rebels and foreign jihadists. Hezbollah from Lebanon has sent 7,000 fighters to be on Assad's side. Al-Qaeda is believed to be in the region fighting Assad too. Back in 2013, President Obama issued what was commonly known as the Red Line, a speech defining that international action was chemical weapons. If chemical weapons were used, the... Uh, the United States would intentionally act, probably trying to go to the United Nations, but there would be some type of international response. President Obama, at this time, was being called a tyrant, 
liberal whatever word that he wanted used by the right-wingers, and so he asked Congress for permission to do any kinds of military strike. Now, the president doesn't have to do this. Like I said, we'll have to do a, a another show about how the executive has, a, has evolved when it comes to military action, but President Obama was most likely worried that if he unilaterally went in without a declaration of war, that the United States could be involved in some type of similar situation to what happened in Iraq. Um, and with that weighing on his mind, he wanted to make sure that he gets congressional approval first. Because the president can actually authorize uh, military maneuvers, I believe it's referred to as, and for 30 or 60 days, um, and it's completely constitutionally legal. It's one of those things that's kind of evolved by the the power of the presidency con considerably expanding, continually expanding, I'm sorry. Um, the United States has officially not declared war since World War II. To give you an idea of what the exact power of the presidency can be. The war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq were both under President Bush that was technically military engagements authorized by Congress. So President Obama genuinely feared that you might get stuck in another quagmire of Syria just like Bush got stuck in Iraq. The Republicans said no. Now, the attack then was, I think, a thousand people were killed. And recently we're talking about a hundred today where the United States has launched cruise missiles into Syria. Um, if you are an anti-Trump person, you I, I, I see it running the gamut that this is a fake attack, that because the United States is acting still in the anti-Assad family, whereas Russia wants them gone, that we're doing this as to show that we're not close with Russia, and President Trump's not either, because he authorized it, da -da -da, where he authorized it from his beach house. But I, I don't know how you can rationalize if you were against foreign involvement before under President Obama, how you could be for it now. Um, it's one of those things that, because because more people were killed in 2013 by chemical by chemical attacks, and the evidence seems to show that it is the Assad regime again. Um, I am going to give a point of note because I don't want to be bashing one side too much. Republican, uh, I believe she's the former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Nikki Haley. Um, she's a UN ambassador now. Uh, the language she uses is completely counter anything you've heard out of the White House regarding Russia. Um, Nikki Haley talks how there's not going to be sanctions removed until Russia gets out of Ukraine, um, that we're not cooperating with Assad, Assad's going to be gone. Um, she's the 29th ambassador of the United Nations, and I actually I really like her tough stance, especially when it comes to Ukraine. Um, so you don't want to come out with a conspiracy theory that Russia, you know, United, I saw something where Russia had evacuated the airport and the United States struck it and then, you know, it's okay. It was just for demonstration and PR, essentially. 
Um, which I'm having a tough time saying it's not. In 2013, when all this was happening, Trump tweeted several times anti-involvement in Syria. One of them is, quote, what I'm saying is stay out of Syria, end quote. And so the exact same attack has happened on one-tenth the scale that it happened in 2013. And now Trump, Trump ordered the strike. Now... Shooting cruise missiles into Syria, whether or not this was a military valid target or not, is pretty much the lowest level of U.S. involvement. Um, it's not even like drone level, which the United States was doing plenty. We need to talk about how President Obama set the precedent of using drones in foreign countries like Yemen. But it, it kind of is the smallest military action we could have done at this point. So, the question always is now, is that with this complicated quagmire, and with, with the Iraq war right in the back of the mind, what do you do? The United States has a policy of saying that the Al-Assad family must be gone. Russia wants its geopolitical ally. No one wants more American troops dead in a desert halfway across the world. However, we also don't want innocent children being the subject of chemical attacks. What if we go into Syria and the ideal world, we set up a constitutional Republican form of government and then they elect former leader of ISIS, yada yada, because that can happen in a democracy. These questions are not easy. But the important thing is to have a game plan when we make these decisions. If you use just cruise missiles, if you use Predator drones, if you put United States Armed Forces boots on the ground. None of these questions are, are easy at all. So you really need to think critically, not only about how President Trump has completely contradicted himself from four years ago. Um, the man has almost no credibility where I can defend him on the basis of his word anymore. Um, the United States, at least in the United Nations, is still taking a hard line against uh, Russian involvement. Which is good, people, by the way. I, I didn't think I needed to like, have to explain that, but Russia's a really horrible place where, where dissidents get assassinated. Look at the, the, the number of anti-Putin journalists that have been assassinated in the country. And you will be shocked if if this was done as a political reason. You know, let, let's say the conspiracy theory is true, and United States bombed an empty airfield, and both Russian government, and United States government, are saying, "Oh, this hurts our relations," or, 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 or. to distance themselves from Trump. I don't know that he's fooling anybody. Now let's say the conspiracy theory is false. That President Trump, now that he has the power to act, has had a change of heart. That he has witnessed 100 children die while he has the believes he has the power to stop it. He is just going to do what he can to bomb the facility 
or the airport where it was made that they do keep some things um, secret of what, what exactly they're doing. And now Donald Trump genuinely is help is wants to help. What's the next step? I'm going to remind everyone of something that I've heard for the last eight years, which is that the United States is $20 trillion in debt, by the way. So if we're going to authorize another war, we have to raise taxes. We fought the Iraq and Afghanistan war without raising taxes. And there, there's no, I would not let it slide this time. If we want to go to war, if we want to put boots on the ground, give our, our men and women in uniform all the logistical support that they need and deserve to keep them safe and fully accomplish their mission, we need to raise taxes and pay for it. We don't need to put it on the credit card again. And if you're not prepared to raise taxes, then you're not prepared to fight the war. And all your jingoistic bell ringing is just, I believe it's called a chicken hawk is the proper term. It's someone who's all in favor of military action, but they're, they're not in the service, or they're not willing to make any sacrifice or anything. They just are in favor of sending other people to die. This conflict in Syria has gone on way longer than anyone thought it would. We can only pray and hope for the best in the situation. But the thing I want you to do is to think critically about this. This is... Essentially, where President Trump has the most power, which is in foreign affairs. Is this the way the United States needs to act in the future?